we experienced something the other day that I thought was kind of strange. Uh, we had gone down to Texas, about three hours south of where we live in Oklahoma, to see our grandson in the musical Frozen Junior in his high school. And uh, the day that we got there, it had been like in the low 80s, I think. And overnight, a cold front came in and it was rain and wind and everything. And and so when we left Texas for home, it was cloudy and just kind of misty a little bit. And as we travel north on 35, uh, we go through the Arbuckle Mountains. Now, I never knew that's what it was until I looked it up the other day. Uh, but on these mountains, on both sides and the peak, there's oh, 30, maybe 40 or more windmills. And, uh, you know, we always kind of mention that as we go through, I guess. But um, it was like really low clouds. And as we're approaching the mountains and these windmills, there was this one windmill in particular that it was going and as the blade would get to the top, you couldn't see it because of the, the clouds were that low and that thick. You could see the other two down below, but you couldn't see that one that was up on top. You know, I mean, weather's a, a strange thing. It can change drastically in a, in a short distance or not a, a big difference in, in, mean, in uh, altitude. Uh, where my wife and I grew up, I, I grew up on the shores of Lake Erie, uh, and my wife grew up in a town that was up the hill and a higher elevation, and it could be snowing up there and raining down where we were. And our daughter just moved from the snow area down to the rain area this last year. So they should have a much milder winter than what she's been used to. So, you know, I think I I should have gone to school for meteorology. Uh, and it's interesting, but it's the only job where you can be wrong day after day and still keep your job. Okay, I mean, you can't do that in accounting. You know, you can't do that in probably in marketing or, you know, in making machine parts or whatever. You know, you got to be right all the time and be right on. The Christian radio station that we listened to when we were in Delaware and in Maryland, they had this, I don't know, I, I called him a roving meteorologist. He would be on that station and he would be on other stations, you know, throughout the morning, just kind of giving a, I don't know, three to five minute weather report. And he would talk about the different um, patterns. It's not the word I want, but it's the only one I could think of uh, from different meteorologists that, you know, there would be the the Canadian one and there would be, you know, the New York one and there would be all these, uh, especially when talking about hurricanes uh, and the patterns of the, the hurricanes. You know, the one would say that it's going to 
hit North Carolina. Another one would say, you know, that's probably going to hit up in New York, Boston area, and all. And so he would, you know, say, well, I think this one's the most accurate or whatever. But isn't it great to know that the one that's really in control is God? You know, that it's not a meteorologist. It's not somebody's uh, arthritic knee, but it's the God that we serve. That he's the one that ultimately is in charge. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are in charge of everything here. You're overseeing all that we do. You're listening to everything that we say. And so, Father, I just uh, praise you that you care about us that enough, you, that much. You didn't make us and then walk away and say, I'm never going to have anything to do with that earth that I created anymore. And so, Father, I just praise you for that. So, Lord, as we look at your word, look at your message, and to see what you have for us, Father, I just pray that you'll bless us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, whenever I seem to be hearing about a topic or hearing or reading a scripture repeatedly, I kind of take that as a hint from the Lord to kind of follow up on that. Now, I could be right or I could be wrong, but it's how I often come up with the message that I present. If you have any suggestions, you can go to my As Is Ministries Facebook page and leave me a, a note. Um, <laughs> just be nice, okay? Um, so this is the few verses that have been on my radar uh, it seems like over and over here recently. I have 1 Corinthians 3. Yeah, I'm going to be using the NIV unless I remember to tell you different. I know there's one place I think I use a New Living somewhere. Um, but Paul, he's, he's just kind of fed up with the church in Corinth. You know, I mean, if you're familiar with the first and second Corinthians, you know, just from the, the tone of his writing, that he's not pleased with the way the church is acting there. So starting in 1 Corinthians 3 in the first verse, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Now, I think we can often see this in the church. You know, a, a, a good pastor, a popular pastor can kind of create this, not intentionally, 
but because some become followers of the pastor okay that you know and you know he's he's the one that he's the reason or she that some people go to church now we attend life church in oklahoma city which is a the campus that we go to is the largest of the 37 campuses that they have uh, in Oklahoma and across the United States. And there's three more coming soon. Uh, for many years, Pastor Craig Groeschel, the senior pastor of all of these, uh, was live at the Oklahoma City campus. And about 18 months ago, he started being live at a different campus in Oklahoma City. So some of the people from the Oklahoma City campus started going to this other campus. Now, I admit, I prefer seeing a live pastor rather than a pre-recorded message. Okay, that's what you get at the other 36 campuses. Um, the reason for some people may have been that or because of Pastor Craig. Okay, they wanted to be where he was, not where they were gonna just watch a movie of him. Okay, so I mean, it's not up to me to judge, but you know, sometimes that happens. Now, there may have been some people that were going to the Oklahoma City campus where he was that you know lived closer to other campuses and so when he moved, you know, it maybe made sense for them to move too. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I know the day that I announced my retirement from my last appointment, um, I'd been there for eight years, and there was a few people that day that said they were gonna be looking for a new church because I was leaving. And after we left, there were several others that left. Not just because I left, there are some other reasons too. Now, I'm not faulting or judging those that made that choice for whatever reason. But when a pastor leaves a church, hopefully the Spirit of the Lord is still alive and well there. If not, <laughs> maybe the Holy Spirit never was there. Now, I like Paul's analogy of the, the planting, the watering, and the growing. But he forgot the fertilizer, okay, because some are, are great at spreading the manure. But the growing is the most important part. Now, I know that from practical reasons, because we've planted often when we were in Delaware, at the house that we bought at an acre of land. I had a friend from the church that lived just up the road, came down and plowed it and rototilled it and got it all ready for us. And we planted seeds, we planted plants, and, you know, I watered faithfully and fertilized regularly. But often the growing just didn't happen. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's, you know, what happens sometimes. You know, our corn would start out really good. 
get up about knee high, maybe mid thigh, and it would just stop. And when you get these little ears of corn on there, maybe three inches long, and the kernels were, you know, about half or a third of the size of what they should be. Nothing edible. So how does this compare to the church today? I see several hundreds of people at Life Church every Sunday. We go to the 8.30 service. That's one of the lesser attended services. We serve at the 10 o'clock service, which is the most attended service, and the 11.30 service. And so, you know, I see hundreds of people. Now, hopefully, all of these people have been planted. In other words, hopefully, they all have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So they're coming to be watered. They're coming to be fertilized. Are they growing? Hey, only the Lord knows. If they're not, why? If they've been planted and watered and fertilized, why aren't they growing? So why are those that are not growing, not growing? Well, maybe it's a choice. You know, they're comfortable in where they are. Are they still worldly, as Paul accused the Corinthians? Are they mere infants, as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth? Do they still prefer milk over solid food? I think the answer to those questions is yes. Okay, if somebody is attending church on a fairly regular basis, and they're not growing in the Lord, it's a choice that they make. And here's a few reasons I've found why some people go to church or hold membership in a church. And the first reason is, you know, it just looks good on your resume. I am a member of the first whatever church of wherever, or I am a member of Life Church, Oklahoma. Um, maybe they go to church because that's where their boss goes to church. And, you know, they want to look good, you know, say, hey, boss, how'd you like that sermon on Sunday? Wasn't that great? You know, or in, some people go to a church because their family always went there. Okay, when I was at one of our appointments, we were going through the membership roles. And, you know, there was a lot of people on there I had never even heard of to say nothing about seeing. And so we started sending letters to some people. Some people, you know, were living hundreds, thousands of miles away. And, you know, they weren't supporting the church in any way that I was aware of. And so one guy wrote back and, and you know, the letter said, you know, do you want to ma maintain your membership, membership in the church? Or, you know, can we take you off the books? This one guy wrote and says, oh, don't take me off the books. If my mother found out, she'd kill me. You know, let's do something, okay? Uh, some people do it for a social aspect. You know, they, they like to, you know, work at the festivals that they have. And, you know, they like the covered dish dinners. And, you know, their, their friends go there and all. And some people go because they're pressured by their parents or their spouse or their children. Sometimes kids get involved 
in Sunday school or youth group, and they, you know, try to get their parents to come. Praise God for that. But what is the one and only reason why we should be going to church? It's to be worshiping the Lord. And in doing that, it shows that we want to grow. We want the watering. We want the fertilizer. We want it to do its work. We don't we we want to be more I don't know of more use to the Lord today than we were a year ago. We want to be a better servant for the Lord than what we've been in the past. We want to grow. So we shouldn't be there because of the pastor. Okay? You know the pastor just you know he always has a couple of good jokes in his sermon and you know he's a good-looking guy or she you know she's nice looking up there you know we shouldn't be there because of the building i know i have served churches that if that church burned to the ground and they build an identical church to it some people would say no, i'm not going there that's not my church anymore because they were into building worship more than worshiping the lord it shouldn't be there because that's where your friends go that's where your family goes you know, some people grow up in the church and they think they got to still go there because that's where their parents go, their grandparents, their aunts, uncles, cousins, and everything. And they're not really growing because they're not being fed. And maybe they should be attending someplace else where they can be getting the water and the fertilizer that they need to grow. Shouldn't be there because, you know, they got such a great worship team. Man, you know, they're so good. I mean, they've got CDs and and all this, or, you know, the choir, man, the choir is fantastic. You know, and they got these soloists that are so good. None of those are reasons to be going to church. Those things can maybe get us there, but we need to grow beyond that. And that will only happen if we let the Lord grow us. No other way. I know I recently used this verse in a message, but I'm going to use it again. Romans 12, 3. And this is going to be from the New Living Translation. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Okay? Pastors, teachers in the church, evangelists, some people are authors, professors at seminaries. They sometimes can evaluate themselves higher than they should. They can look at themselves as being privileged people. I know you can look online, <clears throat> you can see the salaries of some of these people. You can see the homes that some of these people live in, the cars that they drive. You know, the, the plane or the jet that they have to take them wherever they think they need to go. The clothes that they wear. It can be very disheartening and can be a bad witness to the world. And, and if you're old enough, you remember the scandals of the past. You know, and Satan knows who will fall into his schemes. And... He knows who's not going to be able to resist the temptations that he's going to put out there. 
and he loves nothing better than to bring down a Christian leader. You know, so we all need to be on our guard. We all need to be mindful of the urge for more, more fame, more riches, more power. As Paul said, don't think you're better than you really are. If you need to make a comparison, why don't you try comparing yourself to Jesus, okay? Not anybody walking on the earth today. Paul said it well in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And you can't go wrong if that's the attitude that you got. In Psalm 8, David, David gives us some great words to remember, so much that the writer of Hebrews 2 quoted him on this. Okay, this is Psalm 8, verses 4 through 9. He says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, humans that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them the rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, Paul thought of this because he knew what Genesis 126 says. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So Paul is saying, or excuse me, David is saying, you know, why humans? You know, what's the big deal here? Well, then in verse 31 of Genesis 1, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So it was fully God's intention for people to be in charge of the earth. He knew things would need order, someone in control besides him. At the same time, reminding us that he alone is ultimately in control. You know, we read about those reminders in many places in the Old Testament where the Israelites were doing something they shouldn't do and God came along and said, whoa, we're going to put an end to this. Okay, I'm going to show who I am because they seem to have forgotten. And we read many times where Jesus reminded the Pharisees of their place. You know, it, they were misguided religious leaders. Jesus called them many other things as well. According to Matthew 23, just in this one chapter, Jesus had quite a few different names for them. He called them hypocrites, blind guides, blind fools, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, everything unclean. And in, in verse 33, he says, you're snakes, you're a brood of vipers. In Luke 14, he says, you're unmarked graves. You know, while I was writing this, I was thinking, you know, how are the disciples handling this when Jesus was handing this abuse out 
to the Pharisees. You know, are the Pharisees thinking, you know, hey, Jesus, you know, maybe you're kind of overdoing things here a little bit. You know, Jesus, is this really a good idea? You know, Jesus, maybe you need to cut them a little slack, you know. I mean, after all, they they are the, the big kahunas here. They're the ones, you know, running the church here now. Well, to put that in today's context, well, would Jesus be addressing some of today's religious leaders in the same way? Aren't some of today's religious hierarchy any different than the Pharisees? And are we contributing to those feelings? We treat big name pastors as celebrities. Okay, you know, if you were to to come into contact with, you know, maybe Franklin Graham or, you know, whoever is your big name pastor that you follow, you know, you think, oh, wow, look who's here, you know, big deal. You know, and sometimes people want autographs of singers or musicians from, from the worship band or from the choir. You know, I remember 30 plus years ago, my wife and I, a Christian bookstore in the mall, and we had the local Christian radio station there. They were doing a, a, a thing for us. And this one guy that was one of the announcers uh, was there. He's a big guy kind of wild bushy hair and a beard and all just really super friendly guy and someone came up and asked him for his autograph and so he took their book or paper whatever it was and instead of writing his name he wrote get saved okay, he knew he was no one special even though others thought of him that way you know putting Christians on a pedestal can be dangerous for us, and especially for them. Because when you're on that pedestal, you fall a lot further than if you're standing on flat, solid ground. It can cause servants to feel like more than what they really are. Peter had it right in Acts 10 when he went to the home of Cornelius, a centurion. Acts 10, beginning in verse 23. Okay, some of Cornelius's friends had, had gone to Peter and said, you know, Cornelius wants you to come. And so, you know, Peter was going to go. And it says the next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. That's something that some of us need to remember ourselves. We're only men or women being used by God. Paul faced a more intense situation in Lystra. In Acts chapter 14, Paul was used to, to heal a man that had been lame. And 11, verses 11 to 13 says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, 
brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Well, this didn't set too well with Paul and Barnabas. And this is what it says in verses 14 and 15. But the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this and they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. How true that is. No matter what heights you attain, you know, what letters you have after your name or what position you hold, you know, no matter what salaries you receive, no matter how many followers you have on Twitter or how many awards that you get, you know, we're all just human, like God made us in his image. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel goes to Bethlehem to anoint the next king. And he goes to see Jesse and his sons. Samuel looks at number one son, Eliab, and he's sure that that's God's choice. Okay, big, good-looking guy. And all he, Samuel thinks, this is the one. This has got to be the one. But God straightens him out, straightens him out in verse 7. Because it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We need to look at the heart of people and look at their fruit. And most importantly, we have to look at who is the most important and who is the most important to them. When we make comparisons, we need to look at the real deal. Okay, Paul said this well in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. He said, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. I want to share the words to a song that speaks of the Lord's greatness. Okay, it's called Speak to the Mountains by Chris McClarney. It says, why would I worry when giants come calling my name? My God is so much bigger than troubles I face. Why would I hunger for power or riches or fame? My God is so much better than all these things. I won't be shaken. I won't be moved. My God is faithful. His promise is true. So I speak to the mountains. Oh, it's time to move. My God is bigger, better, stronger, greater than you. My enemies scatter because they know the battle is done. My God is stronger. The victory's already won. He died for my ransom and rose on the third day. My God is greater than death, hell, and the grave. There's no mountain too high, no valley too low. There's no fear that I have. He doesn't already know. There's no problems too big. There's no weapon too strong. There is nothing for God that's impossible. So I speak to the mountains. Oh, it's time to move. My God is bigger, better, stronger, greater than you. How can we think too highly of ourselves when this is the God that we serve? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Always and always.
He is bigger. He is better. He is stronger. He is greater than anyone. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for the truth of that, that, Lord, you are the greatest. Some people call themselves the greatest, whatever, but you are the greatest of anything and everything. So, Father, I just praise you that we, we know that. And Lord, help us to live that and to believe that. And, Lord, to pass that down generation to generation, that there is nothing, no one, that is greater than you. So, Father, I know my brothers and sisters know this, but, Lord, sometimes we forget and we look to people as being great, as being, you know, the true leader, when only you are the one that can lead. And, Father, I lift up anyone that may be listening to this that, that doesn't know you, that doesn't know about your greatness, doesn't know about your strength, doesn't know about who you are, that, Father, that they will come to know you and that they'll realize that everything that they've been looking for, everything they've been trying to do, that it means nothing compared to what you can do for them. So, Father, I pray that they'll give their life over to you and that, Lord, that they'll realize they're a sinner and that, Father, that only you can change that. So, Lord, let them pray a prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for Jesus who took my sin to the cross. And he died for my sins. And three days, he rose from the dead and he's coming back again. Father, I thank you and praise you that I know this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.